We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his young friend and fellow worker, Timothy. And Paul writes to, of course, encourage and instruct not only Timothy, but the church as a whole at Ephesus. And we see in this letter some really key instructions to Timothy about fighting the good fight and standing for Christ. And we see some instructions about false teachers and leadership and relationships. So there's a lot of things. And as we look at our passage, we want to focus on some key areas. We want to see how to fight the good fight. And then Paul deals with two men in the passage. He describes them as shipwrecked in their faith. What does this mean? What did these men do? And what does Paul say about them? Well, as we look at this passage, we want to think about the areas of discipline. We also want to think about the aspect of security. And we see the whole idea of standing strong for Jesus Christ. So there's some great things in our passage this morning. Well, you know, as we start, you know, there's a lot of confusion concerning the area of security and assurance concerning believers. I mean, first of all, let's do this. What's the difference between the security of the believer and the assurance of the believer? Well, think about this. First of all, security. Security is the fact that we are saved forever. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, we are secure. Jesus Christ is the Savior. When we trust in Him, we are kept firm and held and safe by God. Now, assurance is our understanding of our security. So everyone in this room, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are secure. Now, your assurance is the fact that you know and understand that. So let me begin with several questions. When a person trusts Christ, when they trust Him as Savior, are they saved and saved forever. Will they go to heaven? Let's put it that way, because a lot of people ask that question. Will they go to heaven no matter what? And the answer is yes. Why? Because when one believes in Jesus Christ, when one trusts in Christ as Savior, immediately, that moment, they are given eternal life. Eternal life is life with Jesus Christ forever. It's not based on our works, our goodness, our faithfulness, our actions, but it's based on the grace of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Eternal life cannot end, or it wasn't eternal life. So a believer can have the assurance of his or her salvation. Now today when we hear people talking about knowing, how can people know if they're saved, there are really two ways that people talk about it. One is we look to Jesus Christ. And we look to him and we we know that we put our faith in him and we know the promise and the power of God. 1 John 5.13 says, These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So by the fact that we look to the fact that we have trusted in Jesus Christ and we have salvation and that's God's promises and power. But some people also say you need to look to your lifestyle. You need to see if there's fruit in your life, if you're doing what God wants you to do, if you're being faithful, if you're serving. So there's a difference there, and here's what it is. One looks to Jesus Christ, his promise and his powers for assurance. The other looks to lifestyle, fruit, and works for assurance. Well, I want you to understand, the only place to look is Jesus Christ. When you have trusted in him as Savior, you can look to him and you can know for sure that you're saved. The problem with the second view is if you try to look at your lifestyle, your faithfulness, you can never have the assurance of salvation because you could say, am I going to keep on going? Have I done enough? Is this enough fruit or is this not enough fruit? How can you ever know if you have the assurance of your salvation you cannot so the key point for your christian life is this when you trust jesus christ as savior and i hope and pray every one of us in this room have already trusted christ you go back to his promises he says i give you eternal life and you will never perish the assurance of our salvation goes when we look to christ if we look to ourselves our fruit our works our faithfulness any of that we can never know 
With that in mind, that's the reason I wanted to bring this out, is we're going to see from this passage this morning two men who are listed, a guy by the name of Hymenaeus and another person by the name of Alexander, and they're listed as people who are shipwrecked in their faith. What does that mean? They've moved away from the truth. They're, they're shipwrecked. They, they've moved away from the teaching of God's word. Well, what does it mean to be shipwrecked? Are they saved or not? Can a believer move away from the truths of God's word? What does Paul say about these two men? Well, we'll see it as we go through the passage. Well, let's begin. We've been seeing this section. Of course, we, you know, there's, we're just taking two to three verses at a time because there's so much in this letter. Uh, we'll move faster as we get to some other places, but there's just a lot in this section. Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight, to stand for Jesus Christ. Last time we saw that Paul said, listen, he was an example. That he's the worst sinner of all. That's what he said. He said, of, of Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am the foremost one. And the point that he made was this, that if he, Paul, is the foremost sinner of all and God saved him, then God can save any person. That was his point. He says, I'm an example. Paul says, I'm an example of all who believe in Christ for eternal life because if God can save me, the worst, then he can save anyone. And he gave praise and thanks to God for his grace and mercy. Now, as we continue and see in the flow of the rest of the passage, two key issues really sort of stand out. One, he's going to talk about fighting the good fight and how do we do this. And then we're going to look at the two men shipwrecked in their faith. And we're going to think of issues like salvation and eternal life and assurance, lifestyle, all of those kind of things. Let me break down the passage. I think I've got the outline for you right here. <clears throat> yeah, in this passage, we're just going to look at these, t- uh, these verses. But we're going to see Paul's charge to Timothy in verses 18 and the first part of 19. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith, the good conscience. Then we talk about the shipwrecked faith. Some suffer shipwreck. And then he talks about hand it over to Satan. That's the last thing in the passage. He says, I'll hand them over to Satan. They'll be taught not to bless me. What in the world does that mean? How does that all fit together? So as we look at this section, we want to see we're exhorted to live for Christ. And we're exhorted to understand and I hope our security in Christ. Well, let's look at our passage. Look at verse 18. Paul says this, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you, and here it is, you fight the good fight. When he starts in verse 18 and says, This command I entrust to you, it actually goes all the way back to verse 3. Because in verse 3, Paul says, I urge you upon my departure that you would instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. He's actually going back to his original command to Timothy, and that is to deal with false teachers, deal with people who are teaching things that are wrong in the church. Now, here's what we said. We said the best that we could tell is after Paul left Ephesus, the word is out that some of the leaders, some of the teachers, some of the men in that church have moved away from the truth. And so Paul is actually telling Timothy he's got to deal with these people. And I think we're going to see a couple of the names in this passage. So Paul talked about that, and he says, As this command I entrust to you, I entrust to you, Timothy. I want you to do that. Now notice him, he says, Timothy, my son. We see this love and close relationship with Timothy. He was this kindred spirit. And then he says something that sometimes people get confused about. He says, In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now the best that we can tell, and you'll have to almost go back to, to chapter 4, we'll have to go to chapter 4, verse 14, 
when it really talks about when Timothy was set apart. Apparently the time that Paul took Timothy and started using him to do ministry with him, he was set apart. They laid hands on him, which is symbolic of being set apart. But someone got a prophecy about Timothy. And, of course, sometimes that happened. People were prophets in those days and, and, and those kind of things. And it was a message about Timothy, obviously, that he was going to be a faithful man used greatly by God. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance. Remember with the prophecies previously made concerning you. And if you go back to chapter, uh, if you go to chapter 4, verse 14, it talks about his spiritual gift which he got, which was bestowed on him through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meaning the men laid hands on Timothy and set him apart. Paul is reminding Timothy, you've got to stand firm, Timothy, because you've been set apart by God. And we know that. So it's pretty powerful. And he says, I entrusted you this command. And then he says the key thing. Look at the exhortation, the end of the verse, that you, by them, you fight the good fight. Now I want you to know that the good fight for Timothy is the same as the good fight for us. We're all in a fight. They don't like a fight. Most people don't like fights. Most people don't like battles. Most people don't like conflict. Most people don't like those kind of things. But he literally says to Timothy, you fight the good fight. You keep on waging the good war. The truth is this, we're in a battle. The battle is not against flesh and blood. As Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against rural forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle because we live in a fallen world controlled by Satan. Satan controls the world. The world affects us and people. We are in a spiritual battle. Paul says to Timothy, you fight the good fight. The word for fight there, or the, the good fight, is literally the campaign. It doesn't mean like you've got one battle to fight. He's saying you've got an ongoing battle that you're going to experience as long as you are alive on this earth and that's true for us as long as we're in these bodies as long as we're in this fallen world there's going to be a battle it is a spiritual battle we're fighting against the world the flesh the devil it's a fallen world system controlled by satan which affects us we are in the battle it is a spiritual battle it is a theological battle it is a cultural battle and every one of us in this room are in the battle now most people would like to not be in the battle and they would like to say let me just sit over here and just let the world go by and remember what we've said many many times if you're not consciously being transformed by the word of god you will unconsciously be conformed to this world it's happening to you and you may not even know it so you have to consciously decide that you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're going to fight the battle, that you're going to stand firm, that you're going to put on the armor of God, and you're going to stand victorious for Jesus Christ. You have to decide that you're going to do that. And Paul says, Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight. It is a spiritual battle. It is a theological battle. It is a cultural battle. He is a soldier fighting the fight for Jesus Christ. We're soldiers fighting the fight for Jesus Christ. It's really powerful. We'll see it in Second Timothy. He talks about the same thing about being a good soldier. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. He wants to please the one who has enlisted him. That's in Second Timothy. That's the battle and it goes all the way through. What do we do? Well, let me tell you some things we do. We, we, we teach the Word. That's one of the things we're supposed to do. The foundation of everything we do goes back to the Word of God. We must know the Word of God. We must teach the Word of God. The second thing that we do is we give a clear gospel message. Most people do not have a clear gospel message. I'm not saying it bad. It's just most people don't. The clear gospel message is that Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in Him has eternal life. It's not a bunch of other stuff added to it. It's not a bunch of works. It is simply faith alone and Christ alone for salvation. We need to be clear on the message so that people can know what to do, that they can trust in Christ as Savior. 
The third thing is we've got to stand for the truth and defend the faith. We have to do that. You're in a spiritual battle. We're all in a spiritual battle. We'd rather not be in the battle. But we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're to stand for him and live for him. That's what it says. So are you fighting the good fight? Most of us, the truth is we'd all rather be on the sidelines, but this is a battle. We realize we're in a battle, the battle for the souls of people. We're in a battle to help people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says, Timothy, fight the good fight. Literally, fight the good warfare. The Christian life is a long war. We're not fighting flesh and blood, but the spiritual battle. Now, how do we do that? We're soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're in a war. He tells us what to do. He says, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, what I want you to do, that by them, by this stuff, you fight the good fight. Notice the next verse. Keeping faith and a good conscience. How do we fight the good fight? There's really two things. And here's what he says. Keeping faith and a good conscience. Let's describe what that means. The first one is found in verse 19. Keeping, it's literally keeping the faith. It doesn't just say keeping faith. It literally says keeping the faith. Now, keeping the faith has a twofold idea. Okay, When you see it in the scripture, when it says keeping the faith, it has two ideas here. One is the idea of being faithful, faithfulness, being faithful, you can live for Christ. But the other is the faith. The faith is the word of God, the truths, living by the truths of God's word, the body of faith. So how are you going to fight the good fight? You've got to keep the faith. You've got to live by the scripture. You've got to know what the word of God says, and you've got to live it out. That's the only way we can do it. It's, it's, that's where you know the scripture and you study the scripture. And that's why when we come together on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or our CBI classes or our 412s or our Sunday schools or any of our small groups, the emphasis should be the teaching of the Word of God so you can know what the Bible says. We're not talking about just talking about the Bible because there's a lot of people who talk about the Bible. There's a lot of people who even read verses but never get back to them. What you've got to do is actually know and understand the Word of God. You've got to keep the faith. That's what he's talking about. How do we keep the faith? How do we do it? Well, we have to study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved to workmen need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. You've got to dig the Bible so that you know how it fits together, so that you can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. When you live in a fallen world and you're going to stand for Christ, you're going to fight the good fight, you must keep the faith. Not only being a faithful man, and a faithful woman, but living by the Scripture. That's the second part of this is Philippians 4, 9, taking the things and making application. So to keep the faith is study the Word and live by the Word. It's the basis for our lives. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. Studying the Bible is not easy. Yeah, people say, well, just, don't you just kind of like read it and look over it? And you've got to study it. You've got to dig it. That's why he says study to show yourselves approved. Workman, the word workman means to dig it, to fight it, to struggle. A workman need not be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means that you look at the Scripture and you have an understanding of what it says and how to live it out. The first way we fight the fight is keeping the faith. Got to do that. Trusting God, being faithful, living by the word. One who stands for Christ fights the battle as one who trusts God and lives by the word. But there's a second thing, and that's keeping a good conscience. Keeping a good conscience. What in the world does that mean? Well, the conscience is the part of us that tells us right from wrong. We have to go all the way back to Genesis. And you remember what God told Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. And he said, you can eat from all the trees, but you can't eat from this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of what? 
good and evil. It's how you know right from wrong. He says, for the day that you eat from that tree, dying spiritually, you'll surely die physically. And that's exactly what happened. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they died spiritually, and they began to die physically in that sense. When God talked to them after the fall, and he made a provision for salvation, he said, now that you know right from wrong, it's called a conscience. And Romans chapter 2 says, written on our hearts, on every one of us, there is the law, the word, the truths, the rights and wrongs. We've all got conscience. And if you do something wrong, your conscience tells you that it's wrong. Now, you can, as the Bible says, you can sear your conscience, meaning you can do something wrong long enough that it will not bother you anymore. You can just do it over and over, and eventually it doesn't bother you. But the conscious goal, the conscious plan is to, to tell you where you're wrong. Now, you have the word of God. But you also have the conscience. So he says you've got to keep the faith, which is living by the word, and a good conscience. Now, what you do in the good conscience is when you recognize that you have done something wrong, you deal with your wrong. You confess your sin. In fact, having a good conscience means to do what is right and then to deal with sin. So if you don't do right, if you, you're supposed to do right, but when you do wrong, you deal with it. That's uh, the whole idea of confession of sin. So when, when it says, how am I going to fight the good fight? I'm going to live by the Scripture. And I'm going to deal with sin in my life. And I'm going to maintain my fellowship with my Heavenly Father so I have a good conscience. See, right now, if you have, if you have confessed your sins and you're in fellowship with God, you have a good conscience. If you have sin in your life and you haven't dealt with it, you don't have a good conscience. You have a bad conscience because your conscience is saying, you're bad, you did wrong. And you're going, I know it, but don't bother me about it. Well, that's what your conscience does. It bothers you about it. Paul says you got to fight the good fight. How do you do that? Keep the faith, live by the Scripture, and have a good conscience dealing with our sin. By the way, keeping the faith and good conscience go together. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1.5. You don't have to turn there. 1 Timothy 1.5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Faith and conscience go together. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 9 says, Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Over and over they go together to fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Live by the word. Have a good conscience, which means deal with sin in your life. So the plan that if we're going to fight the good fight, is we live by the Word of God, and when we have sin, we, we can deal with it so that we can be in fellowship with God. Living by the Word, basing our lives on the Scripture. So that's powerful. We could stop right there and say, that's enough, I think. Wouldn't it be enough to get us through the rest of the week that, that we got to deal with this? And we got to say, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to fight the fight. I want to fight the good fight, the campaign. I want to keep the faith. I want to live by the Scripture. I want to be a faithful person. I want to have a good conscience, meaning I'm going to deal with sin in my life. But he doesn't stop there because he says, keeping the faith, having a good conscience, which some have rejected. Some people haven't done this. He's talking about believers. He says there's believers who haven't kept the faith and a good conscience. Some having rejected. And what has happened to them? It says they've suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So our second issue is a shipwrecked faith. He's going to talk about it. And we're going to focus, he's going to focus on two men that he mentions. You know, sometimes when he mentions people in the scripture, we've been reading Paul and Timothy and writing, and, and it'll make, say this person, and he'll say, honor this person, or this person was a great servant. We go, yeah, that was good. And every now and then, they'll find somebody like Eudote and Syntyche, those two women that he said in Philippians, he said, teach these women to get along. 
they wish they weren't in the scripture. You know, if you, you know, well, here's two guys. They weren't, they weren't in the scripture either. Because for all eternity, because the word of God abides forever, these two men are said to be those who were shipwrecked in their faith. They have not fought the good fight. They have not kept the faith. They do not have a good conscience. Now, what is going on? Let me, let me raise three questions for us. What does Paul mean by shipwrecked in their faith? Number two, are these believers or unbelievers? I think you already know the answer, but I'm going to make sure we know. And then what does it mean delivered over to Satan? Those three big questions come out of this, and we'll go fairly quickly. Let's start with the first one. What does it mean? Uh, by, what does Paul mean by shipwrecked in their faith? Because he says, some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regarding their faith. The word shipwreck means crashed. He's using a kind of an analogy. He says like, it's sort of like they were in the boat of life and they're going, and, and instead of going on to, to, to be keeping the word of God, and living, they've gone off the side, hit the rocks and just torn everything to pieces. They're shipwrecked in their faith. They've crashed. They've rejected the faith. They've rejected living by the scripture. They don't have a good conscience. They've rejected the word of God. They're no, no longer living by the truths of God's word. They've moved from the faith. You know people have done that? You know people have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and then they didn't go into maturity, they didn't grow? In fact, they may have grown for a while and then they got off into something else and before you know it, they've crashed. Happens a lot. You may think it happens little. It happens a lot. Now here's the second question that people always ask. Are these believers or unbelievers? When a person is shipwrecked in their faith, you've heard people say things like, well, if these people, they said they were Christians, but then they live like this and do this. Oh, they weren't Christians. Let me tell you. Look what he says about these people. He says they've rejected and they've suffered shipwreck in their faith. And then he says, I'm handing them over to Satan. So let's talk about from the context of this passage. He's definitely talking about believers. He's delivered them to Satan. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But you don't deliver unbelievers to Satan. They're already there. You deliver believers to Satan. In fact, later on in 2 Timothy 2.18, he talks about these men who have, and one of these names is used, Hymenaeus is mentioned again in 2 Timothy, and he's said to be a person who moved away from the truth. He had the truth for a while. He lived by the truth for a while. So he lived by the truth. These men are believers, and most likely, they're some of the leaders that we talked about several weeks ago when we said that there were people in the church of Ephesus who were teaching the wrong things, who had moved away from the truth. And Paul said, Timothy, you've got to deal with these people. He's now mentioning two of them, I believe. I think that's the best we can see. These men were believers. They were leaders. They were teachers. But they moved away. So can a believer be shipwrecked in their faith? Of course they again there are a lot of people who started well and did not finish well they crashed think about demas you may not know him but demas at one one of paul's letters paul says demas my fellow worker is a faithful man when he writes second timothy he says demas having loved the present world has left me he didn't say anything about Demas not being a believer or that Demas lost his salvation or anything. He says Demas was a faithful man. Now he's not. You know people in your life that at one time were living for Jesus Christ and talked about that they know him as Savior and, other, and then they're not anymore? Shipwrecked in faith. What about Solomon? Solomon's the wisest man who ever lived, right? Wrote some books of the Bible. Greatest king that ever lived in Israel, the richest king who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived. Do you know what he did toward the end of his life? He brought in false gods and goddesses and allowed them to be put in the tabernacle temple where the true God of Israel to be worshipped. That's Solomon. 
You'd say, no, 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 that could be Solomon. That's, no, that's Solomon. He lists two people here, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Let me ask you this question. Are all believers faithful? You know the answer to that, right? Sometimes all you have to do is look at yourself. I just have to look at me and say, I'm not very faithful. If all believers are automatically faithful, then why are all the exhortations and commands throughout the New Testament for believers to be faithful, to walk worthy, to stop letting sin reign, to run the race with endurance, to live worthy, to fight the fight? If all believers are going to automatically fight the fight, why are there always these exhortations for us to fight the fight, to grow, to go into maturity? Because we do not naturally do that. Some people teach that if a believer gets into sin or falls away, that it shows they're not a Christian. Nowhere in the Scripture does it ever say that. In fact, the greatest letter that deals with issues like that is when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and the entire letter is problem after problem and issue after issue in the church at Corinth, and never once does he say they're not Christians. In fact, he says they got it all. How do we know if we're saved? You don't look at lifestyle. You can't look at lifestyle until we go back to the promises and power of God for the assurance of salvation. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, He has given you eternal life. And you are saved forever whether you are faithful or not. A lot of people say, well, if you tell people that, they'll live bad. They're going to live bad anyway, by the way. Most people live bad anyway. We don't change the gospel to get people to live good. We encourage them through the word of God and the teaching and the love and the exhortation for people to live good. But you don't change the message to make people live good. Some people say that if a person doesn't live right, it proves they're not a Christian. No, it proves they're a disobedient Christian. Where do we go for assurance? We go to to the truths that we have believed in Jesus Christ. And he said, you'll never perish. These two men crashed. They crashed. Never does he say they lost their salvation. He says they're shipwrecked in their faith. Let me give you a warning for all of us. Don't crash in your faith. We all know people. We know people in this body. We know people in this town. We know people in our lives who are believers and they've gone off the deep end. Doesn't mean they're not believers. It means they're shipwrecked in their faith. He mentions two men here. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus is mentioned later on in 2 Timothy. You know what he's doing? In 2 Timothy, Hymenaeus is teaching that the resurrection's already happened. He's telling people that the resurrection has already happened. That's what he's teaching. That's one reason Paul said, you've got to get this guy out. Because what if I stood up and said, by the way, the resurrection happened already. Obviously, you weren't changed. What does that tell you? That's what he was telling these people. He was confusing all kind of people. Now let me give you the last part. We'll do it very quickly. What does it mean to deliver it over to Satan? Because he said, I handed them over to Satan so that they'd be taught not to blaspheme. Best we can tell, delivering to Satan means that they remove them from the fellowship of the body, put them out on the fallen world, and let them reap the consequences of no fellowship as a believer and the consequences of a believer living in a fallen world. Matthew 18 gives the procedure of going through and finally removing a person from the body. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 says, Keep separate from brothers who live unruly lives. Do not associate with them. See, discipline is 
to restore, not to destroy. He wasn't destroying these people. When it says that they will be taught not to blaspheme, he's put them out of the body. And I want you to understand this, that this discipline is good for the body because there's got to be purity, but it's also good for the person because the plan is to restore them. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man in the church at Corinth that was having sexual relations with his stepmother. And the church did not deal with it. Paul said, remove the man from the body. He said, I turned him over to Satan. They removed him from the body. Guess what happened? He actually turned his life back around, got back to God, confessed his sin, dealt with his sin, and then wanted to come back into the local body. And guess what? In 2 Corinthians, they wouldn't take him back. And Paul has to write him and says, take him back. So the whole thing of delivered over to Satan is basically saying we're removing the Christian from the local body fellowship so they can be taught not to blaspheme. And who knows, they'll probably come back, Lord willing. You do remember that believers are the ones who are disciplined, not unbelievers. These are believers. Paul's charge to Timothy because we're out of time. Fight the fight. Keep the faith. Be keeping the faith a good conscience. Some have already rejected. They've moved away. And so he says that they're going to be removed so that they can be disciplined. So Paul tells Timothy to fight the fight. Keep the faith. Deal with those things. Well, that's pretty powerful. Let me give you some applications. Let's fight the good fight. Let's stand for Jesus Christ. Let's be good soldiers of Christ. Let's keep on living for Christ. It is said it's one thing to read the word of God. It is another thing to live it out. So, A, don't get off track. Don't be shipwrecked in your faith. It can happen. If you think, no, it's not going to happen to me. I believe about Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm living for God now. I'm pretty excited about stuff. Take heed lest you think you stand. You what? You fall. Don't get off track, B. Fulfill your ministry. You're an ambassador for Christ. Live for him. And see, be thankful for the grace of God in our lives. So how do we how do we fight this fight? Two things. Keep the faith. Live by the scripture and have a good conscience. Deal with your sin. Okay? Sorry, go back just a little bit. Keep the faith and have a good conscience. Means that they are dealing with a sin. Second one is understand. This is a great one. Understand your security in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior... You have, the moment you believe, you have eternal life. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, has eternal life. You will never come into condemnation. You have passed from death to life. The moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you were saved and you were saved forever. And you look back to the fact that you have trusted in Christ for the assurance of your salvation, not your lifestyle. Now, the goal is to grow. The goal is to live for Jesus Christ. We're not saying don't live for Christ. We're saying you can't look at your lifestyle and try to determine your salvation. You look at the fact that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The assurance of your salvation is based on the promises of God. Third thing, realize that God deals with those who fall away. Those who shipwreck in their faith... God disciplines them. Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. That's what he's telling is going to happen to these two men. So when somebody who says, tells to you, I have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then they are living poorly later on, you cannot say they're not a Christian. You can say they're a disobedient Christian because salvation is by faith alone, not your faithfulness, 
but your faith in Jesus Christ who saved you. Because we are secure in Christ, we want to fight the good fight, living by the word of God, knowing that God will deal with those who move away from the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. There's just so much there. Lord, we want to fight the good fight. We want to live for you. We don't want to get off track. We want to fulfill the ministry. We want to live by the word of God and deal with sin in our lives so that we can fight the good fight. Lord, thank you that we are secure in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can have the assurance of our salvation as we look back to our Savior as the one who is faithful, not us. And thank you, Lord, that even those who know Christ and have moved away, you deal with them with the goal of them coming back and growing again. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.